Good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening, and welcome back. Uh, welcome back to the Porsche Cool Podcast. It's Wednesday, Wednesday evening here in Bahrain. It's about five minutes to eight. Um, I'm about to connect with Zoom, as I always say at the beginning of these Owner Stories episodes. If you haven't been here before, welcome. If you have, welcome back. Uh, this is the Owner Stories. Like I said, Owner Stories part of the podcast. Um, Owner Stories is where I, Michael Bath, that's my name, <laughs> talk to various owners around the world about their Porsche journey, about how they got into Porsche and and the cars they've owned or the cars that they have, the cars they currently own or the cars that they have owned before. Um, I really enjoy doing this. It's a, it's a really good, uh, I don't know, how do I call it? I've always said it's, it's, it's my sort of source of relaxation in a way where I just get chat, to, where I chat to people I haven't met before, but chat to them with, uh, with a common bond, which is, uh, which is Porsche or 911. Anyway, um, as you can see, when it gets to, when it gets to eight o'clock, I'm a little bit delirious. Um, Devon, that's who's joining me today. I've got Devon coming in. Uh, Devon's coming in from the US. I should know where Devon's from. I know he's from California. Uh, Devon is actually uh, a friend of Brian, who was on Owner Stories number forty nine. That's how he reached out to me. Um, I don't know a lot about Devon's story. I know I, that's a common thread that I keep saying, but. With a lot of the owner stories, you know, I know a lot of you guys reach out to me and say, you know, you, you give me all the information and tell me all about your story beforehand. It's kind of nice when I just find out I just the key things like the cars you've owned and the car you own now and then all the other things. I, I kind of like finding out along the way with the listeners, uh, with you guys. I kind of like finding out, you know, how it all progresses to, to where they, where the, uh, you know, where the person is today. Um, and Devin's, Devin's, that's exactly what's going to happen this evening. Like I said, I don't know much about Devin's story. I know he has owned a few Porsches. Um, I know he's got a very interesting one at the moment, or well, an interesting one that I think is being worked on. Um, he's also a clothing designer. So we are going to have a good chat, I'm sure. Um, but let me just uh, let me just see if Zoom is working. I haven't actually checked it yet. And let's uh, connect with uh, Devin in the US and talk about his uh, Porsche cooled owner story. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Owner Stories. Um, so now I know where uh, <coughs> Devin's from. Devin's from the Bay Area. He is from California. I got that right. I just didn't know exactly where. Devin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and, and chatting with me today. Oh, Michael, I'm such a fan and so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. No, I'm, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you reached out. As I mentioned in the intro, you're a friend of Brian's from number forty nine. Uh, the listeners will remember Brian has the. Okay, my memory's here. Nine nine six point one Carrera two Cavrolet in blue. In that nice blue, I can't remember the name of the blue now, but the the cool blue. But I'm glad you reached out. I mean, this is what I like about owner stories, Devin, is that you know that. Uh, friends of friends contact me, you know, other people recommend people. It's, it's just a really, uh, it's a really good part of the Porsche community. It's a good way of um, connecting. Yeah. The social circle is a fun part of the Porsche world. By the way, I'll let Brian divulge his potential changes in his car world, but uh, that I almost acquired that Cabrio from him. Uh, but that deal didn't go through, but it's uh, there, there could be some change in Brian's future. I know it hasn't happened yet. But he, he's change. selling it. There's a potential upgrade <laughs> okay. uh, in the works, and it it was like a last minute thing. All of a sudden, I got a text from him, uh, and I was like, "Wow!" And I'm like running in to tell my wife, "Hey, maybe let's go try drive Brian's Cabrio. We might buy this cab." 
and uh, it, the deal didn't end up happening, but it sounds like he may be making some moves. So we'll let him Fantastic. come back on and tell the story. It sounds like you're in the market for another 911, which we'll get into. It sounds I'm, like you're. It sounds like you are still looking. <laughs> I'm always in the market. I'm. I love cars. I'm always in the market for 911s. Let's let's start there then, because you did tell me you're a car nut, and you know you, you're working on a car at the moment. We'll get into that. Let's start at the very beginning. You know where I always like to start is where it all started with you. Um, and we talk sure. about this as your first memories of Porsche. Um, you know your first memories of Porsche being whether you know it's the Matchbox or the Hot Wheels car, or it's a friend that owned a Porsche, or someone in the street that you used to see drive by, or even your father or you know uncle owned a Porsche. Was Porsche something that you remember from your childhood? Was it something that, that has always been there? Or is it something that happened you know, much later in life for you? Well, I'll be honest. As a California kid um, with you know, a father who was very much into American cars, I, I really didn't have Porsche on my radar as a, as a child. I loved Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, had por- posters all over my walls and all the Hot Wheels. I remember I had a 911 Hot Wheel and um, definitely a fan of the car, but I didn't understand it or appreciate it. Um, and so it started with me uh, on the Porsche and with um, a, a very good friend and mentor who, you know, we would get together and drink beers. And my, I think I started doing this with him in my early 20s, drink beers and talk about cars. Um, and it ends up, you know, we'll come full circle on this, but the current 911 I own used to belong to him. Um, And so he kind of molded my uh, perspective on the automotive front because I was really into the big V8s and and for a long time had, um, you know, a lot of American cars and then was into Jaguar and, you know, I have a whole transitionary story, but it probably didn't really click for me with 911s until I was in my early 20s. What are the memorable cars along the way then? You know, it started, you said in the 20s, you started noticing 911s or you bought a 911? You started noticing that. That's that's when I really started goal setting for one. Um, You know, cars for me started, uh, my my father, who uh, really was into cars as a kid. And when I was, you know, about driving age, my parents weren't in the financial position to drive fancy cars. So I learned on some pretty ridiculous cars, uh, some, you know, a terrible like 1976, you know, Volvo with a five speed that was just brutal, but it taught me how to, you know, drive a stick and, yeah. and uh, drive it around the neighborhood. But he bought me, uh, when I turned 16, a 1966, uh, Ford Mustang, okay. um, and white. And so I, I started driving that, working on that, wrenching on that with my friends, basically something would break on that car almost weekly, uh, it felt like. So you're either underneath it, replacing a starter or banging the starter with a hammer in the morning because it was cold or, you know, I was wiring up sound systems or putting in new, you know, exhaust or whatever it might be. And so it started with that, that Mustang and that was definitely a memorable car, uh, as it was almost your, in California, cars can almost define you, especially at that age. Uh, I spent so much time cruising and, and really, you know, establishing my personality in that car. But that's a very cool car to have as a as a sixteen year old. Oh yeah, it was. You know that is that is you something know. you're going to get noticed in. That's for sure. Even in the U.S., right? Yeah. It's still a it's still a very cool car. Yeah, it was, and it it actually belonged to a friend who was like the high school quarterback and a really you know big guy around town. So when I bought it from him, it was already known in town. Everybody kind of knew the car, and so it was really fun. I passed that car on to my brother. 
Uh, my younger brother started driving it when I left uh, the house uh, after high school. And then there was a series of miserable cars that aren't worth, you know, I didn't have a budget for great cars, but there's a series of bad cars until um, a, a, another Mustang, a, a 5.0 Fox body that, again, okay. I did a load of work on, um, just really spent a lot of time in the motor and exhaust and lowered it and just did a ton of work until I smashed it into the back of a Ford Explorer because I didn't do the brakes. I did everything else. <laughs> so what, what's the attraction to the, of the Mustang then? Well, you know, at that point it was so, it was so cultural. I, I think if I look back on it, like now what I know about cars, I'm not attracted to, you know, the Fords, uh, the, the Mustangs, the Camaros, the, the Corvettes as, as much as I was then it was much more this, you know, kind of classic Americana, um, just easy to work on parts were accessible, just a fun, I mean, there were fun cars. I didn't know a thing about how mechanically superior the nine eleven was, nor did I understand how much more fun they are to drive because now I'm in a car that's only three years newer than the car that I drove in high school. And the 69, uh, nine 11 I drive now is, is worlds different as a driving experience. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's amazing to me that they were made in the same period. That's actually a very good thing to have today though, isn't it? So you can look back and you can think about that Mustang that you had and you can think about the nine 11 and, and you yes. see the difference. You know what I mean? Whereas back yeah. then you wouldn't have seen the difference, right? When you first got yeah. it, when you were 16 or, you know, you would not have yeah. noticed that. Oh, not at all. I can not see the all. attraction. I, I see the attraction of muscle cars. I mean, in Australia, we didn't really have Mustangs, obviously, because they only came to Australia a few years back. Um, but obviously, there was always the you know Australian-type muscle cars, which were based on US cars in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember mm -hmm. my aunt always had <clears> – <throat> my aunt used to have these very old US cars that she used to buy at auction. She used to just buy up old US cars that somehow got into Australia. I don't know if they were left-hand drive or right-hand drive. I can't even remember now if they were converted. Um, so that's what I always remember about these big US cars that she used to, she used to drive around in them. So you've had the Mustangs. Um, you know how to work on a Mustang. You know what, how to fix one. What comes yeah. next? Are we, are we thinking about Porsche now? Are we at the point in, in your life where you have a bit of extra money and you have some time to think about it and say, okay, I'm going to start looking at Porsche? Or you go into something else before that? Well, as a, as a car junkie, I mean, I'm like worse than a petrol head. I have like an obsession with cars and my life literally re revolved around what car I was driving. My identity was so closely tied to the quality of the car that as soon as I started making decent money, this is like, I started a company in my early twenties and started seeing clients. I, I thought, you know, I need a car with prestige. So I bought my first Jaguar. I, okay. uh, I, I went from, you know, muscle car to Jaguar and I loved it. I mean, I drove it a bunch. It was a bit underpowered. It was an XJ 6L. So the long rear seat, you know, I felt like kind of a sophisticated guy driving around in a, in a Jaguar and the car was very reliable. Um, I found a great local mechanic and started to learn about Jaguars, obviously a little different mechanical, uh, makeup than the, than the Fords, uh, that I was used to. So I drove that for a while and then immediately had a hunkering again for that muscle power. Yeah. And so started looking at, at supercharged V8s and um, went to the, the S-Type R, the Jaguar S-Type R with the supercharged V8 and the okay. uh, BMW 6-speed in it. And just I drove that until it was basically done. I mean, I put 100,000 miles on that car and just loved it. And was that out. reliable, that one? Because, you know, Jaguar and reliability doesn't yeah. always come hand in hand, you know? Uh, I, 
Yeah, I think that's almost a misconception. Yeah, depreciation and unreliability is usually what people think of when they think of early Jaguars. Yeah, I totally agree. And and with that XJ6L, I had a really good experience. It it really was pretty reliable. It didn't have the cool factor that I was hoping it would, to be honest. So I bought it thinking, man, this thing is going to be so cool. And it was just underpowered and felt like a, a dad car. So the S-Type R still had that refined driving experience, but with right. a ton more power. And I had literally zero issues. I mean, Barnbow brakes on it. I was able to change myself. Oil changes were pretty easy. I took it to my local mechanic for, you know, some uh, maintenance work, but in general, it was, it was exceptionally reliable and I really enjoyed the car. It, it really is what pushed me into European cars in a, okay, these things can move and they can drive and what's my next, you know, what's my next goal. And so that's where I started goal setting for the 911. I'm at that point, I'm meeting with my friend and mentor for drinks. We're talking about cars. We're talking about women. And of course, Porsche comes up. He has had Porsche and had this 911 sitting in the garage that I just kept looking at going, man, I got to get my hands on that car. That car is so beautiful. Um, and so that's really what pushed me into it. Let's get into I can see the attraction with Jaguar. I mean, you know, my now father-in-law had one and I can't remember what, what it was. It was burgundy and it was a four-door and it was an 80s model, 81. And that was mm-hmm. about 20 years ago mm-hmm. or 15 years mm-hmm. ago. Um, and I drove it a few times and it was a it was an enjoyable car to drive in. It was a beautiful car inside, the leather and the wood. Right. Um, I remember how quickly the petrol gauge went down there. How it went down very, very fast. I remember that yes. just going across in Sydney, the Harbour Bridge, and then back again and thinking, wow, that's a lot of gas just for a, for a small distance. Um, yeah. So you've had the, the muscle cars. You've gone into the English Jaguars. Jaguars, you know, yes. it's a great car. Um, it's got the heritage. It's got the history. It's got racing history. Um, and then you think, okay, now I'm ready for a Porsche. Is that how it happens? And you've got your friend, you're out drinking yeah. with him. He's talking about Porsches. Yeah, that's exactly how did, right. That's how did the first one come about and when did it come about, Devin? Well, so my my first child had just been born and I was um, producing at a higher level in my career and was really starting to goal set. And, and goal setting has been a really important thing for me in my life. And so I set a goal. I said, if I hit this number, in production and sales production, I'm going to buy a dream car. And I just like wrote down my dream cars, right? You know, Ferrari F355, Porsche 911 Turbo, just wrote these cars down and said, these are the, the three or four that I really want to look for. And then in the evenings after work, I would spend time on the car websites that we all know, <laughs> you know, scrolling, just looking at what might be up there, yeah. what might be up there. And my my son's maybe eight months old at this point. You know, my my family's just getting started and I'm at work. I actually remember seeing the car in the car website and it had been, and it's funny because I just listened to your last owner story. This seems to be a theme, but it was, it was marked as a Carrera, but I looked at the photo and it had an arrow kit on it. And I was like, wait a minute, there's not that many Carreras with an arrow kit. Maybe it's a, you know, some sort of one-off. Maybe the guy put the kit on, but it looks cool. So I popped on there and I'm looking at the photos and I'm looking at the interior and the options. And I'm like, this is not a Carrera. This is a turbo, but right. they haven't marketed as a standard Carrera. They had it priced as like a standard Carrera. Really? It was incredible. It was at a dealer in Beverly Hills. I called the dealer immediately. I got the you know option sticker sent over. They didn't have the window sticker. It was a trade-in. Yeah. And so I looked up all the factory options I hop on the phone again after checking, I confirmed with Porsche America and after checking the options list and was just blown away with what it had. It had 
you know, full carbon. It had the factory aero kit, didn't have the X 50 package, but you know, it just really well specced out car. And so I hop on, I had the sales girl do a walk around with her phone. She sent me a bunch of photos. And basically I said, look, I'm going to fly down tomorrow and buy it. Um, but you know, I want to make sure if I buy this ticket, you're not going to sell it out from underneath me. Yeah. Um, so what they was said, the okay, year? We'll make... sorry, sorry. It was a, yeah, no, it's okay. So it was a 2001, um, nine, nine, six. And how old was it then when you purchased it? What year was that? That would have been in 2014. 2014. So okay, before so before prices really went crazy on those. Okay, so you went to so you you found the car. It's not advertised as a turbo. Do you so you go to LA? You go to Los Beverly Hills and you and yeah, you yeah, so check I, it out. I flew down. I spent six hours. They wouldn't let me take it to do a private PPI. They said uh, pre purchase inspection. They said you can take it into the shop and lift it up and look at it, but we're not letting it. You can take it on test drive, but we're not going to let you do a PPI. It's either take it or leave it. We have enough people waiting in line for it. You have to buy it tomorrow, really, if you're going to buy it. That this was the this was the uh, the pitch that they gave me, and maybe it was a hard close. But um, knowing what I know about 911s and knowing the motor that I thought was in it, if it were indeed a turbo, and again I did event verification it was a turbo, I knew my risks were relatively low. Um, so I got it up on the lift when I got down there. I could immediately see some body damage in the car. So. That was kind of a bummer. It had been in a, a mild accident. I could see some respray, but it, and it had an aftermarket suspension. It had Guabello wheels, which, you know, were popular at one point, a three-piece Guabello wheel. But now, again, obviously everyone wants a stock wheel. So I used those things to beat the sales guys up and get the price to where I wanted it. Um, basically said, if, if you take cash right now, I'll walk out with it. And I got the keys and drove it back, which is a five-hour five hour drive in a turbo. It's probably a seven-hour drive in a regular car. Okay, so did you feel like you were making a risk, taking a risk then though? Because they wouldn't let you do a PPI. Do they give yeah. you? Did they give you? Is there any sort? Of, I don't know how it works in the US with those sort of dealers. Is there a sort of a warranty yeah. or not? Is there a, a, a no, statutory no, sort of warranty? No. Yeah, definitely no warranty. It's buy at your own risk. And, and I had negotiated the price down to a point in which I felt like I couldn't lose, even if there was a major mechanical, which there was. Um, okay. And we can get into that, but I felt like there's little chance that I can lose on this car. This price is, you know, the car had 22,000 original miles. Um, okay. It was a very low mileage example. And, and I was pretty pumped about that. So you buy the car, you don't do a PPI, you take the chance. Right. It's a 996 right. turbo. It's got the Metzger yes. engine. So, you know, Metzger engines, as we always know, and, you know, and, and owner stories that just, we just had this week with um, Philip, you know, Metzger engines are bulletproof. Yeah. So you have that yes. sort of confidence from that. How is the drive, though, when you drive it back? Because you're driving at home, you're in your first Porsche. You've been yes. thinking about this for some time. Was everything it was smooth? Incredible. Was it a great experience? So the, the, the Guabello wheels with the race suspension that it had on it made for a very harsh ride for a long road trip from Southern California to Northern California. However, it was incredible to drive. Um, I know it's impossible for me to get a ticket by talking on the podcast but i exceeded the <laughs> I speed know. limit by more than double uh it was uh it was my first time driving over 150 miles an hour in a car and it was incredible i had a, a blast i had a total blast okay so you get it home and you think okay am i so what do you do what's the first thing you do i know the first thing i would well, do i got it home and I, I i got it home and i looked at the rear tire and realized in one drive because the alignment was off and i was pushing it hard i had burned through one of my 
Pilot Sports on the back. Oh, really? Uh, and this, yeah, and this, the aftermarket wheels were larger than the stock wheel and wider. Uh, they were rubbing. like a 315. Okay. So it, it was a thousand dollar new, new tire immediately when I got home. So I get it home. It's the most expensive car I've ever bought. I'm telling my wife how this is a car. It's going to be great. I'm going to drive it, but also eventually make some money when I sell it and upgrade to something different. And then immediately I have to take it to the shop to replace a very expensive tire. And so I felt like a bit of a, you know, wounded sheep coming into the house going, Oh, I broke the car on the way home. <laughs> but that wasn't even the major mechanical. That was not, that wasn't, thing let's that get happened. into that. But what no. do you do with the wheels and the suspension then? You said it was a hard ride. It's got bigger tires. It's, you know, it's got bigger yeah. wheels. The tires are rubbing. It's going to be a problem long-term. It seems like it's going to be yes. a problem long-term. Do you decide to like, I'm going to go back to the stock wheels? Do you change the suspension? Is that the first thing you think about doing? Well, that that was the plan. That was definitely the plan. The, oh, the fa- one factor I left out, which was not in my intention to buy, was it was a, it was a Triptronic. It was not a manual okay. transmission. And I really prefer manual transmission cars, but this car, with the price I paid for it, just I couldn't walk away from the, the deal. And I thought maybe I would come to enjoy the the tip and I and I didn't to be honest. So okay. the plan was to take it back to stock and drive it for you know a while, keep it as long as I could, and and then at some point maybe upgrade to something newer. But it ended up I didn't change anything I had planned on after driving the car for a little while that I really needed to find a manual. I needed to find a six speed. So I didn't change the suspension. I didn't change the wheels out. Um, I just drove it for a while. Just had some fun on the weekends. Uh, and just and just enjoy the car. On Thanksgiving of that year, it, early in the morning, I picked up a close friend for a drive, and we went out to this road where the police are never, and so you can really push your car, and it's you know, pretty straight. And we we did like zero to one hundred pushes just to really okay. see how we could open it up. And I blew the hoses off the motor, which that Metzger engine has one weakness: right. they use an epoxy to attach the hose. And that epoxy with age can get brittle. The coolant Um, lines, the coolant lines, I mean. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Steve had the same thing happen to his 997. It's the same running problem with the 997. Yeah. That's right. So I blew those off and it just created a huge, you know, billowing, smoky, steamy mess. I couldn't turn the car off quickly, of course. So you couldn't drive the car. It wasn't drivable, basically lost. Couldn't even drive it home. No, I had to pull it off to the side of the road Thanksgiving morning, call my wife to come pick me up and then call a tow truck, which was... Again, a big bummer. <laughs> yeah, and to the listeners that don't know about that, if you're buying a 997 GT3, a 996, anything with the Metzger engine, right? Anything with the Metzger, you have to get the coolant lines pinned because the coolant lines, yes. the glue goes. Um, Steve had that yep. problem and he's spoken about it on the podcast where he was lucky enough that he was close enough to Waterhouse Hamilton where we take it in Sydney and he could just mm-hmm. get back there because it was just it just started but it didn't completely, um, I don't know, it didn't completely blow off. But um, it's a pretty bad thing to happen. And it doesn't seem to be that publicized. I don't seem to see it on many forums. I mean, when Steve told me, I found yeah. it. But it's not, like it's, it's not like the IMS where it's everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And the crazy thing is I called Porsche Walnut Creek uh, here in the Bay Area and said, hey, I, I had this issue. It, you know, the car is in front of my house, but I can't drive it. Oh, they said, okay, bring it in. We'll take, we have to drop the motor and we'll re-epoxy mm. it. And I said, wait a second. You're just going to put the same glue mm, back no. on it? Yeah, and they said, no. oh, yeah, that's that's the factory fix. And so that led me on a, a journey, and I found Sharkworks uh, yep. here in the Bay Area, and they're phenomenal. And they did the hose pinning and a couple other upgrades while they were in there. Um, okay. 
but it was an expensive. I'm day. envious, Dev- Devin, that you're so close to Sharkworks. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> so you you got that yeah. temptation there all the time, especially if you I if know. you if you eventually buy a GT3. Um, there is a big to. temptation there with uh, what they do. Yeah. Okay, so you've got the taste, right? It's not a it's yes. not a manual. It's a turbo, though. It's a Metzger. Yes. Uh, everyone loves the turbo. Everyone loves the Metzger. It's a Tiptronic. You know, some people like, some people don't like. Everyone prefers the manual. So you've got the taste for the yes. Porsche. You've got the taste for the 911. How long yes. do you keep that car for? That car was about two years. And then I started toying with the idea of letting it go. So I popped it on the list and immediately got a hit from somebody who, who was interested in looking at it. I pull up to this showing appointment and the gentleman pulls up in a 997 4S. Right. Um, to look at the car. And he, and I'm like, man, I love your car. You know, it's beautiful. And he had some modifications done to the exhaust. So it sounded incredible as it pulled in. And, and he goes, well, I really like your car. And I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you take my turbo home and I'll take the 4S home and we'll do just an overnight test drive. And we'll meet back here today. Cause I've never driven a manual 4S a 997 4S and I'd love to. And he said, well, I've been looking for a turbo for a long time. Um, so we did, we exchanged keys. I drove his car home. He drove okay. my car home. And then we met back up the next day at the same coffee shop and, and discussed a, a trade, which ended up happening. So that's how you came across your second 911, just like that. Correct. Just like Perfect. that. He, so it ends up his, his, uh, so it was a 2007, uh, in seal or uh, what was it? Arctic gray. It's the lightest gray. My turbo was a seal gray, the darker gray. And then this was the lighter gray. Um, with a fab speed exhaust and ECU remap st- stock exhaust, obviously it had, you know, basically most of the options. It wasn't carbon on the interior, but it, full leather. And I'm trying to remember some of the other options off the top of my head, but a well-optioned car nonetheless taken really well taken care of. It had about double the mileage that the turbo did. Um, and so I managed, uh, to negotiate a cash payment in my direction as well on top of the trade, which at the time felt like an exceptional deal to me. Okay. So what um, year was this, Devin? This nine nine seven was a two thousand and seven. And you exchange you and you traded this in what year? How long ago? Oh, this would have been twenty sixteen then, because it was about two years after I bought the turbo. Okay. So twenty sixteen um, and the turbo was still worth more than the four X and nine nine seven. I mean, that was my, so my, he, he wanted to do a straight, ac- straight across swap, which the Kelly blue book was about even, but right. I wasn't that interested in a straight across trade because whenever you're, you know, doing car deals, if somebody's more interested in your car, maybe it's a good idea to get paid for that. And so I could sense that he really had to have that turbo because okay. um, it was so low mileage. And I said, well, I'd, I'd like some, you know, cash on top. So I can justify the trade to my wife rather than just selling it, uh, which, as we all know, happy life, happy life. So Absolutely. if I came home with cash and a car, it was a win. Um, so did you do a PPI on this one or you just trusted it? I did. The, I did. did. Yes, okay. I did. And he did as well on mine. His, his mechanic found the stuff that I had found at the dealer, the, the body work that had been done and some of the aftermarket parts. His mechanic actually suggested against the trade and he told me that he said my mechanic doesn't like it he thinks it's set up too much as a race car <laughs> okay. but i really like it because it's set up that way and my mechanic loved his car and said this car is really well cared for um it's in beautiful shape a couple things you know that we did like brakes and some tires but it was uh, pretty well sorted so okay so fun, you fun so deal. you're into your second 911 already you've got the carrera yes. 4s uh, i like the carrera yes. 4s i have friends who have the carrera 4s in uh, in london nick's got one 997 great car 
we all like the comparison between different generations. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. some of us get to experience it. Some of us don't. I haven't yet yeah. to experience anything but a 997 as an ownership proposition. So you've had the 996. It was a Tiptronic. And then you go into the 997. What was the first thing you thought or you noticed that was different? Apart from the manual well, transmission. Apart from the manual well, transmission. Yeah. So if I can be honest, the turbo is too much car. Um, it, it scared me. Uh, you, you, you know, you get, I have a hard time with self-control and I really like that pedal to go all the way down when I get on the highway and I'm going for fun. And so let's say you're just going from a slow speed on an on-ramp, uh, and California has a lot of these nice curved, you know, very smooth on-ramps. And so there's a few in the area that on my loop, which I do out through the mountains with a little, or through the hills, they're not really mountains through the hills and then on some freeway to really get some high speed, that turbo would scare basically everyone and everyone in it. My wife hardly would drive in it. She's pro she probably only sat in it twice. Okay. Um, she, she would always complain if we were going to take it, that it was just too harsh, but also scary. And so to me, the biggest difference in going to the, the naturally aspirated car was a, a far more even power band. Obviously. Um, I really liked that. I liked the, the delivery of power. It felt more, more connected the uh, 996 felt a little more subdued even right. though it had that race suspension the whether it's the interior whether it's the connection to the road i just didn't feel as connected and i felt more scared uh, like that car is gonna kill me someday as i'm getting on the freeway at 170 when i should only be doing 110 there's just not enough track to be up that fast yeah, that yeah. Car is so fast. and also you've gone from the turbo which is a rear-wheel drive right. and you've gone to a 4s right. Did you feel any No, the difference? turbo was all wheel. The turbo was all wheel. Oh, the turbo's all wheel. Sorry, sorry, it is too. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. You're right. Yep, yep. Yeah. And I like the all-wheel drive platform. I thought it was fun. I started really doing hard driving in the 4S. I felt more comfortable in it. I, I signed up for some Porsche Club events and did some autocross and some track days um, and, and really got to know the car well and, and pushed the car very hard and felt felt like it was more of a of a of a sports car and less of just a supercar. I mean, the turbo for me, just too much. I didn't need that much power. It's interesting. The fab speed, as you said, it had a fab speed exhaust, right? Fab speed seems yes. to be quite a popular, quite a popular option on, um, on, uh, 911s on 997s and 996s. I didn't realize they were yeah. so popular actually. Um, cause when I, I was looking it. for them, they didn't really come up that much. I mean, I went with a Fista mod, of course. How yeah. was the sound of, yeah. the, of the fab speed? It was incredible. I mean, people, nobody had heard a 911 like this in my group of car fans, car friends. And so, you know, when I pull in, people thought it was like it had a Ferrari motor in it or something. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was incredibly loud and incredibly high pitched compared to the standard note that you hear. And, and I just, I had such a blast in that car. Even if you're only doing, you know, 45 miles an hour cruising, you know, you put it in third gear and just listen to that, you know, yeah. 3000 RPM note. It was, it was incredible. I loved it so much for that, for that sound and that connection that felt raw. Um, which is what led me, obviously, I think to my next 911 was, was really seeking that raw connection. I care less about the technology. You know, what I enjoyed when I would do track days in the 997 is turning everything off, uh, you know, running it as base level as you can. Yes. That you can't turn ABS off, but basically being able to, to drive it at its, its most pure. Um, and so that's, you know, the fab speed with the ECU remap, it really felt sporty. So the ECU remap is part of the fab speed package, is it? Uh, it wasn't, I don't believe, but the gentleman who owned the car, he did the fab speed and the ECU remap, 
at the same independent shop up in Marin County. And I guess they specialize in some tuning. I can't recall the name of the shop, but um, my understanding, and I actually spoke with the independent who did the work, right. is that it, it changed the throttle response a bit and, and pushed a little more torque into the uh, opening range of the motor. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, and you could you could feel it. I drove a friend's uh, 997 4S that didn't have fab speed and ECU map, and it was not nearly as playful. Right, right. So how long did you own that car for, Devin? So that was another two years, um, and in about 2014. So I, I took it to Thunder Hill a few times, a raceway up here, and really I just felt like I was having a, a blast with it. But as a daily driver in my business, I need to carry a lot of clothing. I'm a clothing designer. And so I couldn't really drive it to many meetings. I did take it to meetings, but not as many as I, I would have preferred. And my business was growing. My family was growing. I had a, another child and felt like I needed some cash to build out a retail store that, that we were opening. So I, I unfortunately sold the car, obviously did well on the on the sale. Um, the price was that I received was higher than I expected, um, but you know, just felt crushed to have to sell a 911 but you have to put the family in the business first at that phase so what did you um, so replace it with what did you replace the 911 I with i didn't, didn't replace it for a while no i you know i kind of went to to family cars and started saving money to really build the build the business and buy our home here and and so i drove a very boring couple cars after that and just missed having a fun car for quite a while um and and again, this whole time I'm meeting up with my friend who's this 911 junkie and someone who I, you know, was one of my closest friends and mentors. And so we're having beers, we're talking about the cars. We're, we were actually driving our cars at the same time. Okay. So we'd be meeting up and, and doing drives and, you know, racing and, and stuff and go, you know, doing go-kart races, even driving our fun cars to the go-kart races to race each other. Um, so it was just a, kind of a fun continuation of the dialogue, even though I didn't have a fun car. We just kept talking about them and what I was going to do next. Okay. Let's get into your current cars. So you've had two water cooled. Yeah. You've had the 996 generation. You've had the turbo. You've had the Metzger. You've had the Carrera 4S, you know, 911s that people are searching out. And then you think, yeah. okay, I want to go classic. I want to go air cooled. Well, to be honest, it was less planned than that. To be honest, I had continually. So my friend and I, um, who had the car that I currently own, he, he had kind of abandoned it. If I can use that term. It was in his garage. It hadn't been started in seven years. Um, it, you know, the tires were flat. It was covered in boxes. And I, whenever I would go over to his place, we'd go down and look at it. And I'd be like, man, when are you going to let me buy this and fix this up and get it back on the road? And he's, you know, a busy guy. Um, he kept saying, well, one of these days we'll do the deal. One of these days we'll figure out how to, you know, get it out of the garage. Cause he, he had lived in a garage where the slope was so steep, you know, and in the Bay area, the garage slope sometimes from, you know, a flat garage to a driveway can be so steep that a low car plus a car that has, um, been sitting. So it's on flat tires. It's just really hard to get out of the garage when it wasn't running. He, he kept saying, I don't even know how to get it out of here. We're going to have to get a specialized tow truck. Okay. It's going to be hard to get it out. But this is, this is a guy you're meeting for beers. This is a guy you're talking about yes. the cars with this. So yes. the car was working at that point. It was, no, he was driving. No, the car he then? wasn't driving it. No, he was driving a different car. Um, he, he, even though it was a, a 911, uh, obsessed guy, he also loved an M3. And so he was driving an M3 that we actually, uh, would drive in together. He let okay. me drive it, you know, 
very connected car, but he, he was not driving a 911 at that point, not this 911. I'd, I'd actually had never seen it driven uh, really? until I, I pulled it out of the garage. No, I'd never seen it run or start. These sort of stories um, always interest me. So this is because he couldn't, he didn't want, he didn't have the time to, to do the work on it or he just yeah, he didn't want to sell yeah. it, but he didn't want to do the work. Is that kind of how Correct. it was? A nostalgic car for him. Um, you know, he was a really amazing person. Uh, unfortunately, he's he's passed away. Right. But um, he was obsessed with cars and motorcycles, and was a very prominent uh, person in his industry, and did right. a lot of travel. Um, just made a huge impact uh, for humanity, and did some really big things that um, forced him to be away from you know, some of the hobbies that I think he really loved, which, you know, 9-11, this 9-11 was definitely one of those. He had done a lot of the work on the car himself, uh, which is one of the reasons it wasn't running because he had put uh, a larger motor in the car. I didn't know this at the time. Uh, when I bought the car, I didn't know anything about it other than the shell and the year, but I didn't know anything about the car. Okay. Um, so how did you, itself. how did you acquire the car then? Was, did you, did he decide to let it go or how did the car come about? Well, so um, he passed away in a, in a motorcycle accident, commuting home from work oh, really? um, in, a, in a real tragedy. Mm. And, um, you know, about a six months to a year later, uh, I'm, I'm good friends with his widow as well. And I had uh, inquired on the car and just said, hey, you know, John, the gentleman and I had talked a lot about this car. And I, if it's possible, I'd love to buy it from the estate. Right. Um, it's very sentimental to me. He was very imp important to me and uh, helped me with my business in many ways. And so I kind of reached out to her and said, hey, if you're we're ever ready to get rid of it, uh, please let me know. And at one point, um, she was ready to move the car. I, I was driving at the time that we spoke on the phone. And she basically said, OK, I'm ready to let it go. Let's just move it. Um, and I said, well, I don't even know anything about it. Um, but I've done some research on what these go for and there's a really broad range. Yes. Um, and so we kind of negotiated a price sight unseen. I mean, I hadn't done again, any inspections, any, I, I'd looked at it underneath the stuff that was in it and on it, but I didn't know much about it. I knew there was a giant puddle of oil underneath the car. Um, but I didn't know much about it. We, we negotiated a price. I met, I called my independent mechanic and said, Hey, I don't know how to get this car out of this garage. Cause the wheels have actually been flattened. They were aftermarket Fuchs wheels and they were cheap. And so they were, they were actually flat oh, spots really? on the wheels. Not only long. was the tire flat, but yeah, the wheel had actually had a flat spot. And so he sent his favorite tow truck driver out there. I, I met at the property and tried to make it easy on my friend to uh, obviously remove the car and uh, relieve okay. this. Before, her, so, before we go into yeah. that side of it, tell the listeners, so what, yeah. what year is this car? Tell the, tell the listeners what you, yes. you know about the car now and what it was or what so it is. At the point in which I bought it, I knew it was a 1969 911T. Okay, beautiful. A long hood T. And, yep. and in, in relatively rough shape, if I'm speaking in terms of buying these cars, I mean, the paint, it was a tangerine orange, and you could tell that it was because the paint that they had painted over it at one point was black, but it, there were spots where you could see tangerine orange through the black paint. I find um, that, I find that really interesting what you just said, because it seems like a lot of 69, 66 yes. to 69, 911s were bright colors. And it seems yes. like there was a trend in that time yeah. or whatever time it was. I don't know. Maybe yeah. you can relate this back to fashion, but there's a time where the, everyone yes. painted them black. 
they just got rid of the yeah. color, didn't they? And it's yes. it's quite well, bizarre. You it, see, it makes these... total sense when when you think about the 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 culture in fashion, at least in the late sixties, early seventies, was very colorful. Yeah, and the nine eleven, especially if you you specced it with a bright color, was definitely a look at me car, a have fun car. Yeah, you know, this is the seventies, so you know, early late sixties, early seventies. Um, and then I think this got painted in the nineties. Uh, when obviously black cars really, and like this subtle kind of toned down look. And the funny thing is my friend who owned the car, he never wanted to paint it back black back to tangerine orange. He wanted to keep it black. He wanted to repaint it again in black. And we used to talk about this over beers. He would say, well, if you buy the car, I, I would prefer you not to paint it tangerine orange. <laughs> and I would argue with them and say, you're crazy. No. Yeah, you're crazy. Exactly. It's exactly. gotta be tangerine orange. It's gotta be. So the car's in his garage in the Bay Area. It's got a steep yes. driveway. You get the truck there. You, yes. you get it on the truck. What do you do? Where do you take yes. it? We go straight to the independent. It goes straight to the shop, and we put it up on a lift immediately. So I had paid for the car. Um, you know, Now it was time to take a look at the car and see what I was in for. I knew it was going to be a lot of rebuild work, but I didn't know how bad. Um, and, and we get the car up on the lift, and we discover it's got a three-liter motor. Okay. Um, so it's it's a, you know, definitely more of an outlaw build. It's got a three liter motor with PMO carbs, which were not tuned. Uh, they, they did not function. <laughs> so we, we, we also had a rotted fuel system. We had an electrical system that did not function. The car would not start. Once we replaced the fuel system, the electrical system was still very faulty and had several shorts. So we had to create a new wiring harness. We replaced the fuel system. Okay. And we just basically started overhauling this car to get it so running. how do you do that? Do you have a procedure to do that? Like when you design something, are you thinking, okay, I'm going to have this list. I'm going to go through these things in, in the right order to get to the final result. Do you, do you have a certain order that you want to do them in? You know what I mean? Like well, from the pattern to the, to the production, you know, to the yeah. sample, you know, production sample, you know, production sort of thing. Do you, do you have that same sort of process when you're thinking about this car? Michael, I wish I had connected the dots <laughs> on my logical brain from okay. my clothing production side to cars because I was just so excited about this car and I was throwing money at it saying, okay, I just want it to run. I want to drive it, please. I'm just ready to drive it. So and do so it quickly. It, it, I just, I, it, well, I didn't say quickly. I said, do it right, but I want this car to run and I know it's going to be expensive. I don't want to remove the motor and rebuild the motor. We, we, we ended up doing several tests and realized that the motor didn't need a rebuild, uh, but could use one eventually. It's not, you know, brand new. Um, we could have upgraded the, you know, the suspension, but it had an elephant racing suspension kit already on oh, it. Nice. It had new Coney shocks. Okay. Um, so I basically said, let's to my independent mechanic, because a lot of this work was over my head, uh, creating a wiring harness for a uh, resto mod or uh, outlaw 69911 is not something I know how to do. Yeah, um, yeah. so I, I, I begged my independent, uh, who was phenomenal to, to just kind of get this car back on the road in a way that's safe, but also going to last me for a while until I can do the paint and body, which, um, I still have yet to do, but uh, so we, we first tackled mechanical systems is, is the answer to that. Classic cars. You know, I, I had that, uh, we were chatting about that, I think, in the podcast before I went on the two-week break when I went to um, Dubai. Mm -hmm. And I was quite surprised by that post that I came across where they were saying it's like 300,000, you know, 300,000 yeah. if you take it to Porsche Classics yeah. to get your yeah. 300,000-ish upwards. Uh, ish. Uh, which, yeah. which, you know, I find, 
I mean, I guess I understand it, but it kind of still shocks me. Um, no, it's when crazy. You started, no, when, you shouldn't understand it. No one should understand. When you started, though, recovery. when you started, Devin, did you did you limit yourself? Did you have a ceiling? Did you think, okay, I'm going to spend a hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand, or? I I was thinking in my mind, you know, we're going to spend twenty grand to get this car running. That's what I was thinking. Uh, we doubled, we more than doubled that just to get it running. Okay. Um, you know, even just tuning the carbs, I remember the bill when that came. Was, and we yeah. rejetted and tuned the carbs and I about had a heart attack. I mean, I had, I'd rebuilt carbs in my life on four different cars and to get that bill with that hours logged. And I called the mechanic and said, how is this possible? How could this be possible? And he said, well, you said you wanted to keep it carbureted because his suggestion was to take the three liter back fuel injected. But again, I love the rawness, yes. you know, the, the person, the, the gentleman I bought the car from had this idea for this car. And though I didn't want to keep it black, I really wanted to honor his idea, which was this is going to be a track-oriented daily driver, fun 911. It's not going back to stock. It's carbureted, but it's got the three liter. It's got S cams. You know, he, he had done certain things for a reason, and I wanted to honor that. Okay, so what have you done so far then? What, what stage are you up to? I mean, you haven't, done the, are, you haven't changed the color yet, right? You're still with the black? We're, yeah, we're basically... Everything is done other than interior and body paint. Um, we've basically overhauled all, all the other mechanical systems. Oh, the other spec I forget forgot to mention about the car. So it's a it's a 69 911T yes. with a comfort package or factory S package, as some people call it, and a factory sunroof. So what was the comfort S pack? What's the comfort package? I don't know what that is. So the comfort package you could order on the T and it basically gave you all the S options other than the drivetrain. Okay. Okay. So fog lamps, the Fuchs wheels, better trim um, inside as well. The trim. Yeah. The the gold, uh, gold lettering on the back Ah, of the car. Um, And so it, it had this kind of interesting, build i have gotten the sunroof to work even though we haven't taken it completely apart the sunroof is now working which is kind of fun my kids love that when we take a ride um so it's it's basically ready for paint and body and i'm i'm now after recovering from a huge pandemic hangover that fashion producers all over the world took i'm approaching the phase in which i've saved up enough to start that process okay doing paint and body what about the interior though because the interior is something that you know i find when I eventually get a 912 or a, I love a 911T or a 911S. But yeah. the interior is always something I really love. And I love what David, who's been on um, Owner Stories before, David in New Zealand mm-hmm. did with his, with the, uh, with the, you know, all those fabrics and that, and the seats yes, and the racing beautiful. seats. His like is that, beautiful. His is beautiful. Oh, yeah. Like that interior to me is just perfect. That's what I like. Yes. But then also yes. there's uh, Stephen uh, in Sydney who's got the um, 912 hot rod that he's getting fixed up. I don't know if you heard that episode. And his, his interior is, yeah. again, slightly different. Um, for me, I like David's interior. I like that sort of, you know, that raw natural fabrics with the tan leather. Yeah. And he spent a lot of time on it. Is that something you're looking yes. forward to doing, to getting that interior yeah. just right? Or are you going to keep it period? You're going to make it as it was stock? I'm not going to keep it period. Um, so the, the car, I want to pay tribute to my friend um, who I acquired the car from. Uh, he was very into tweed jackets. I had made him several tweed jackets. <laughs> okay. Um, and so we're going to use some menswear fabric, some heavy Harris tweed that we actually make sport coats from for interior accents. We're going to reupholster the seats with the inserts in the seats and then pick a new leather color to match. 
and then we'll do some door cards with that. And then I have some creative ideas for the dash, um, where my, my tailoring staff's actually going to create some pieces, um, that my ideal would be to have them be interchangeable. Um, and, and you know, so we can technically change those insert colors, even reupholster the seats maybe in five years with a different tweed as I decide, you know, I'm kind of over that and I want to change the whole look of the car. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because the, the objective of the car, I'll take that back to tangerine orange. I'm trying to find a good painter to do some ghosting for me. And I want to do a ghost, uh, uh, houndstooth racing stripe. So like tiny little puppy teeth or like houndstooth yes, yes. that are ghosted down the side of the car. Okay. At what part, uh, what so side of the car? Whereabouts? I'd like it to be like, um, On down the, the front left side. No, down the front. Like, so instead of you oh, know, that, okay, the, okay. the classic racing stripes, so it'll be like offset off the driver down the front left. Um, and maybe like six to eight inches wide and ghosted on there. So you really don't see it, but you see it. Uh, the idea being again, to tie in the menswear with, um, with the car. So we can, we can take it to shows and our clients. I have a lot of clients who are obsessed with Porsche. So to be able to have this be a really unique, uh, build, but also one that's not so crazy that if for whatever reason, I never plan to sell this car, but if for whatever reason I had to, I don't want the build to be so unique that no one would ever touch it. Right. Uh, but I do want it to be relatively unique. What do you think of those 911s that have been done by that um, designer that I can never pronounce the name, Amy Leon Dore or whatever it's called? Have you seen those? Oh, I like. Yes, I have. I like those. They are, they're beautiful. Because they've done two, uh, right? You know, There's been two that's been done. Yeah. You know, again, I think you walk a close line of being so unique that you're going to alienate some buyers, but that's okay because that's, to me, art is a, a personal expression and these are works of art these yes. 911s of almost any generation I, I i just think they're all works of art and so i don't know that i'm going to go you know create a painting on the outside of the car but little <laughs> details that but uh how do you, know, you that, that you can okay appreciate. how do you how are you going to do the interior though because you're going to you're thinking about the orange exterior right you so you will yes. you're going to match you're going to do the interior to match the orange exterior or you're going to get the, or, yes. the exterior painted first before you do the interior so, you know, my plan was to obviously have the, the exterior painted. I want to do a lot of the disassembly myself so I could see, you know, where the pieces go and how we, how we could add accents tastefully. I don't want it to be over, uh, over patterned, right? I, okay. I do like the way leather looks and, and feel like it should have some, some leather in there. But, you know, my, my interior car design expertise are very limited. So I will be probably doing a process of, does this work, trying it, and then maybe taking it back out. So I plan to have it painted first. It's going to come back to the garage here. Um, I have a, a home workshop for my business and loads of fabric. And then I just plan on pulling fabric out, ordering pieces, and actually putting it in the car and seeing you know, myself before it goes on the seats. What does this look like? What does this feel like in here? And do I like it? Is this something? Is this an environment I'm going to want to spend time in? And I bet you have a great choice of uh, paint shops where you are in California too, in the Bay Area. There's great places nearby, right? I do. Yeah, I do. And I've been in touch with a few. I've, I've been in touch with a few in LA and of course, some of the best builders, uh, you know, Porsche restorers in the world are along the West Coast, whether they're in Washington or LA or there's a few here in the Bay Area. What, what I find is it just seems crazy what, you know, you get quoted a price and like my first over the phone quote about gave me a heart attack for just paint and body. I was like, you got to be kidding. I mean, that, is that a new car? Are you going to give me a new car? Or is this the same car? Because 
there's like basically no rust on my car. It's I was like going to ask you rusty. that actually. Is there going to be any surprises? Because people, when they get their car painted and the panels start coming yeah. off, they start to see the filler yeah. and they start to see the rust yeah. that they didn't realize was there. Um, yeah. So your body's there's okay? There's a few spots. There's like some surface rust along the driver's side roof rail. And then the front fender had been in an accident. And I can tell that there's some filler work and it's a poor filler job. Um, we'll probably end up flaring the fenders. I'd like, I need some more rubber, uh, in the back. It's got that three liter motor in it. And, and it's a terrifyingly fast car for how light it is. It's 2,800 pounds or, wow. oh no, sorry, 2,380, 2,400 pounds, I think. So um, what did you do with the wheels? What did you change the wheels to? Did you get original Fuchs or did you get replicas? How did you work that one out? By the time it was, it was uh, wheel time, my business had taken. So it sat in the workshop where the mechanic was redoing all these systems. I didn't actually get to bring it home until the pandemic had hit. And that's when I went to pick it up. Well, the, the pandemic was hitting. I was actually going to roll it from the mechanic shop straight to paint and body. But my, my projection of where this virus was going to take my business yes. was that it would really impact us. And so I stopped all spending on the car. I went and picked it up. It was running and driving and I said, you know what, I'm just going to bring it home and drive it throughout the pandemic. I'm not going to do paint and body and wheels, and I'm just going to run it. And so it had these, you know, the, the replica Fuchs on it. And my mechanic said, look, they're fine. I've resealed the tires. We bought new tires, obviously. He said, they're holding air. They're fine. Just drive it. You know, there's a flat spot on all four wheels, but just drive it. You know, it'll, it'll be fine. <laughs> it wasn't fine. Not at all. Uh, we, I was getting flat tires uh, often and using my air compressor. And finally, I said, okay, I, I know I'm tight on cash, but I can buy a set of rep, a new set of replica wheels. And so I bought a new set of replica wheels painted in black, which I know is incorrect for the 69, but with the car black, uh, okay. I felt like it would be fun. Plus what we're going to do is body match that set. We're going to get a original set of Fuchs, uh, obviously with a wider rear, uh, wheel so I can put some bigger rubber on it. Yes. But this, this disposable set of, uh, you know, fake Fuchs as I'll call them, I'm going to body match the paint on those so I can change the look of the car oh, if I feel like yeah. it. Good idea. Um, Good and idea. I haven't seen a body matched paint on a 69 tangerine before. And I think it would be kind of cool to have that body matched insert on the wheel. Yeah. I um, love the tangerine. Tangerine such a great color in that, in that 69. And I love the 69 oh, as well. You. 69 and a 912 or 69 and a 911 um, being the best, the best year in my opinion. So, Oh, absolutely. Okay. So you, let's just go back. Because you said the 996 was a little bit, the turbo was a little bit hard to handle. And then you go into the 4S, yeah. it's a bit more comfortable, yes. it's a bit more easy to drive. Yes. The 911T yes. with a hot rod, how, yeah, it's, how safe do you feel and how in control of that car do you feel? Well, so I, the first drive in it, and I remember this vividly, the mechanical work wasn't entirely done, but I, go in to see, I was in to see the car often during the process of getting it running. And my mechanic had texted me and said, hey, it's ready for a drive. You can't take it far, but it's ready for a drive. And so I get in the car and he goes, okay, please don't kill yourself. This is a very lightweight car and I haven't, I haven't flushed the brakes. They work, but they're touchy. So please don't kill yourself. Stay in first gear, maybe second gear, and, and just go around the office park where his shop was. He said, please don't take it out. Um, and immediately, you know, I get to the car, I drive it around this lap and I wasn't on it at all. Right. I kept it really mild and I pull back in and he comes up to the window and he goes, I heard you the whole way. Uh, <laughs> you didn't push it hard enough. And I said, well, you scared me. You told me not to kill myself. 
And he goes, no, don't, no, actually have fun driving it. You'll be fine. Just don't go out of third gear and don't leave the office park. And so the second lap around, I really did push it and had, had quite a bit of fun. And it, yes, you do feel a much more connected uh, driving experience in that car than any of the other cars I've ever driven in my life, obviously. But obviously the two other 911s were far more modern and heavier cars. Yes. So you feel this connection. The the weight to horsepower ratio and the, the small rubber I currently have on it does make it a bit scary, especially in corners. I'm I'm uh, conservative in corners. I don't push the throttle, you know, too hard in a in a yeah. tight corner because I'd probably lose the rear end. But um, it's a it's a great driver. It's a great experience. So my you know my kids and I and my wife will take it out and do you know a 15, 20 minute loop with some nice turns and I'll I'll push it. I don't you know, go too far into the red line, but I'll push it. Are you still tweaking the, the setup though? Are you still tweaking the suspension and stuff like that? Or is it pretty much okay? The, the suspension's excellent. It's really well sorted. It has a polyurethane rear um, bushing uh, that's pretty squeaky when, it, when it's cold. Uh, that elephant racing rear bushing is pretty squeaky, which I don't love. And I may go back to something that's a little more contemporary but it's very well planted and in fact on a drive recently i have a neighbor who has um a 3.2 cabrio i think it's a uh 79 or 81 something like this okay. and we did a drive the, with our families in the car well half of my family and half of his family uh my kids basically and his kids and we he's a, a police officer so we had basically pulled up at a stoplight <laughs> together on a road and it just perfect timing, right? The yeah. stoplight goes red. The two of us, we had already done the spirited drive through the windies yeah. and the two of us pull up next to each other and he starts revving his, and he's got the G 50 and I'm thinking, man, I, there's no way I'm keeping up with this guy and I'm revving mine up and, and we, we tear off and we get up to maybe, I don't know, 80 miles an hour. And I was like maybe a two car lengths ahead of him right. until about 60 miles per hour. And then he, you know, his torque, Yes. started to to take me over but i was still feeling like wow this little car is faster than i thought i thought he'd blow my doors off and i i didn't even get near the red line and i was i was far ahead of him uh up to about 60 65 miles an hour so it's a fun little car it's it's really fun it's a five speed Devin. yes it's a five speed five speed dogleg yep yeah it's a five it's a five speed it's a fun transmission you know that i've driven a lot of uh, manual transmissions from american cars to japanese cars to obviously this uh, Porsche and, and I, I love the way it feels. I love the connection uh, to the car that you feel. It's an experience that I wish everyone could have, but I don't want them to have it in my car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I so love telling my friends like you have to try one, but don't try mine, please. So when, when will it all be finished? You think how long you think before it's, it comes to completion, interior yeah, paint work. That is, that's such a great question, Michael. And I wish I knew that um, I am, I, so it sits in my garage under a cover next to my gym. I built a gym during the pandemic in my garage with the bench press on the squat rack and all this. Right. And I stare at the car every day during my workout. And it brings me so much joy yeah. even underneath the cover to look at it and yeah. its shape. And I just cannot wait to do the paint and body, but I have to make sure my family's future is secure first. So I, I anticipate maybe we have a year. There's no rush. No, there's, there's no, no rush because it's, it's, you're having fun with it. It's, you yeah. can drive it. You're enjoying it. You know whether it's yeah. in the garage or it's on the road. You're enjoying it. So yeah. there's not really any rush, and that's that's the whole fun of it, isn't it? You know the time that you're it taking is. to get it, you know, perfect. 
Yeah, and that comfort package, which it came from stock, has the S brakes. I forgot to mention oh, that. So right. it has Bigger pretty brakes. good, pretty well sorted brakes. Now I want to upgrade the braking system further, but that's another you know seven to ten thousand dollar upgrade. So when I've kind of put together my punch list of projects, right? You know, obviously paint and body would pr- produce right now my next level of joy from the car because then we can take it to a car show and not be. I, I'm embarrassed by it. I mean, most people love it. We get so many comments on the car. But as a perfectionist, you know, I see the orange flecking on the paint yeah. on the front, you know, the front lip. And I'm like, ah, that bugs me. And I see the little like surface rust on the roof rail. And so I don't ever take it to a show. I just drive it to the show and then walk into the show. But as soon as I can get that sorted, I really want to show it off. I think, you know, I mean, I love black 911s. I like, I like the black. I still think black, you know, classic 911s are great but in that tangerine you know in those tangerine in the oranges in the blues in the you know the python green uh, you know those colors now they're just that python green color i saw one there's one for sale at uh european collectibles there's a python green one for about ninety nine thousand. i think it's quite reasonably low that's quite cheap yeah Yeah, i don't know what's wrong with it it came up the other day but it's in python green i thought man that's a great color wow that's a great color yeah, it's so funny. So in listening to owner stories um, all these weeks and months, I often think to myself, you know, I think you've asked this question before. Would you, as some, because some of these guys are further along in their restorations, would you have bought a fully restored car or done this again? Um, and I'm kind of in that position now. If this car didn't have the sentimental attachment for me <laughs> that it does, which it, it is I was one gonna of ask you that question. things, <laughs> items, uh, it is very, very sentimental to me because of who it belonged to and how important he was to me. Um, if it w- wasn't that car, I would have much preferred to buy someone else's finished project, uh, mostly because of the emotional drama to me that happens when it's gone. And I get a call or an email about whatever the problem is that we now have to sort. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, no, that's a new thing. Oh, no, like the fuel system's corroded and we have to replace it all. And the batteries are, and the battery well, and this and that. And that drama for me, I, I just, that was one of the things I didn't love. I rather would have said, and I didn't do this. If I would have said to my mechanic, okay, here's X amount of money. Let's spend it as you see fit up until this point, mm. And then call me on every item. But getting called often and then getting these emails often, it was like a roller coaster of success. Like, oh, it's firing up today. And then I get a video of it firing up. And then the <laughs> next day, it's not working anymore. It won't fire up. I don't know what's going on. But it's the like, story behind it. You know, like you said, it's that it's that story. It's your friend. You know, it's talking yeah. about this car, the car yes. that he didn't want to sell to you that he was just keeping in his garage, Devin. And now that, yes. you know, and it's a sad part of the story, but, you know, you, yes. you now have yes. that car. And I think that's, right. you know, it must make you smile. You know what I mean? When you see it, it must make Every you smile. And, and you think about those stories and you think about him and, you know, that's what's great about it. And the money, well, you know, money's important, but it's not that important. It's not know? that important. Yeah, that, that's 100% the truth. And, and the, the wild thing is when I drive it, I, I feel him, whether it's him spiritually or just him mechanically, because so much of him is in that car and what he wanted from that car. And I knew him so well that, for example, when that bushing squeaks and my daughter goes, <laughs> Daddy, why is the car squeaking? I chuckle in my head and go, that's because John wanted this to be a track car. This has track right. car suspension. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that, that's because my friend really wanted this. And and that's what's uh, special to me. It makes me um, smile. You know, I get to yeah. drive it and and uh, experience that. And, and that, I think, encapsulates what 9-11 
for me, what Porsche is about for most people. It's about not just how beautiful the mechanical systems are, how exquisite the finishing is. It's about the experience of yes. driving it. What it, how you feel when you drive it. Yeah, it's the experience of driving it. It's the story behind it as well. It's the, the previous story. owners and yeah. the story. The if you people. have that story and the, the people, people that have yes. owned it before, you know, people that yes. search out the previous owners of their car. You know, I know someone I was talking to, I can't yeah. remember who it was, and they were trying to find all the owners of the car that they had of the classic yeah. 911. They just wanted to know everyone down the line. So those Absolutely. sort of things, you know, even if it's the son or the grandson or whatever, they still find out the connection. And I think that's a great thing yes. to do. And share that with those people too because it's someone in their family that, that owned the car. Um, which yeah. is a really good thing. And, and that's my hope for this car is that it stays in my family and passes to one of my two children who, uh, whoever's a petrol head, my son, currently my, my nine-year-old and I like to do a lot of the mechanical work. We are halfway through an oil change, uh, of our <laughs> own. Uh, and I'll, and I'll say halfway because I, I had say figured, halfway. <laughs> well, I had figured that he had changed the oil filter size to match the motor. You know, okay. I had figured when he put the three liter in, he had changed the oil tank and filter attachment so it would use a three liter filter right so when i ordered the you know components for the oil change because my son and i have been doing a lot of work on all of our cars we we changed the brakes on my alfa romero the other day and uh we, we you know we do tire rotation on the porsche we just had some fun and so he goes oh i want to do an oil change that'd be fun so i ordered up all the parts uh, you know pelican parts and i get the filter size in for a three liter 911 we, we get the oil drained out of the car and I, you know, I'm like all sweaty, I'm covered in oil, you know, it's a whole mess. And I grab the, you know, the three liter filter, I go to screw it on and it's the wrong size. I'm like, no. <laughs> and I should have just checked, you yeah, know, it yeah, says on yeah. the filter. I didn't check. And then of course I read the filter. I look it up on Pelican parts and he still had the, you know, the 69, nine eleven size oil filter. In I it. want to ask you a question actually, cause you said the brakes weren't up to speed. The brakes weren't, you were thinking about doing the brakes and they're going to cost you 7,000. Yes. What brakes do you put yeah. on to the, to fit the wheel? What, what, well, what is the upgrade? Couple, there's a couple different that guys will do. I'll obviously, so I'm going to widen my fender and uh, my front fender and rear wheel. I don't know how much I'll go, big on the front feather, whether they'll just roll the lip or whether right. we'll actually put a new fender on. Right. But there's a boxster brake you can put on there. Okay. Um, that there's a kit that, that is sold. I'm trying to think who I was just looking at. Maybe if it's elephant racing that sells the full kit, okay. um, that, that it comes with all the components, um, that you can install it yourself. Or there's another, um, I think it's an, one of the brakes off a 964, kit okay. that they also make it's on their website as, as right. an option i really like the way the boxer brake looks i've seen it on um a resto mod or a or an outlaw build like this and i, I really love the you know the whole fit and finish it looked beautiful on the car so the current brakes are fine yeah. you can just you know I, I can just see myself taking this and i'm ready to take it on the track um, I, I would really like to do so uh, but i can see being a little under braked coming into some of the the steeper turns and and feeling a bit scared so you so. want to take it on the track though before you get the paint job done right you don't want to do it yes, yes. that's the that's I'll the thing do, it with do that the, i mean really? honestly i'm going to do it when the paint job's on it to, get that patina to be clear, started. these cars were yeah. meant to be driven yeah they're, they're yeah. meant to be driven and and yes it will go to some fun car shows but it's i'm not building a concourse car you know it's not yep. going to go down yep. to monterey um i'm building a fun car that i'm going to drive and and track days or something i'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie i really love adrenaline and so I can't wait to push this car. Um, Fantastic. It's so raw. I just cannot wait to yeah. see what it can do. 
Uh, that 997 at Thunder Hill, I had no idea what that car could do until I put it on a track. And then I was like, whoa, this yeah. is a whole different yeah. car than I, I thought it was on the road. So I can't wait to do it. But I do want to do more track time before the paint body goes on. It just depends on, you know, once uh, the schedule with, you know, yes. COVID and the Thunder Hill Raceway opens up. And that's my favorite course up here because there's less barriers for you to hit. Right. Uh, Laguna Seca, which is a very well-known racetrack, has a yeah. few walls that some of my clients have actually rammed their cars into. It's, it's a speed. trickier track, and isn't so, it? Laguna Seca is a tricky yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That corkscrew is insane. Yeah, I the mean, corkscrew. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So It's crazy. You just, you know, we're running out of time, but you said you had an Alpha yeah. as well. Do you have an old Alpha or a new yeah. Alpha? No, I have a new Alpha. It's a Stelvio um, TI, and I had it kind of special ordered um, as my daily driver. So it's a fun little car. Uh, we we actually have a car problem around here. We also have a supercharged Range Rover and a, and a big truck. I like a you know man truck. I've got an F one fifty, and I just you know I have all sorts of cars. Wow. I mean, I move stuff. I have a house up in Tahoe, so I'm moving stuff around. I ride oh, bikes, and so you know I felt like I needed a truck. And then my wife, I wanted her to have a big car, and this Range Rover is a wonderful highway cruiser. And so I actually was hoping to. Per, perhaps purchase Brian's cab and yes. have her sell her Range Rover and then drive the cab as her daily driver because it's a tip and she doesn't drive uh, a manual. Okay. And so I was thinking this could be a great thing. It didn't work out. but So um, what else are you looking for then? Are you looking for anything else? Before we get onto your favorite drives, what else are you, uh, yes. what else are you looking for? Is there anything well, else? So you got the T? Is there another 911? The yes. It's, it's another 911. It's probably something unique. Um, my priority is still to probably park capital in the T's restoration, but if the right car comes along, like, you know, potentially Brian's may have been, or I have another client. Um, I, I really love being connected to the people that I buy the cars from. And I have another customer who has a beautiful, uh, nine, nine, six, four S cab in Nate in like a Navy blue. I don't know what the factory color is called, but with a tan interior and it is, exquisite it is in great shape it's a six speed um and he's really taking good care of it that might become available in the next few years he's thinking about upgrading mm, so that would be that good. could be a really fun car just for wine country visits yeah. uh we do a lot of you know driving for long the, the, the benefit that the t has right is the short drives are really fun i don't know yet i have not taken it on these drives yet but a drive up to wine country from my house is an hour hour and a half I don't know yet how that drive would be with you yes. know two little people in the back and my spouse. I know with a, with a 996 because I've owned them before. Very comfortable on the highway. Um, yeah. The T feels like a like a micro car. And I know it's know, so small, isn't it? A, yeah, when yeah, you, it's incredible. <laughs> when you park it next it, to your F one fifty, it must look like a little baby's car. It, it does, and and when you when you pull up to stoplights, you know uh, California is very different than many places in the world. I realize this. There are a lot of big cars here. Mm, so I pull mm. up next to an SUV and my head is at the top of the wheel to like an average car. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, it's in crazy. the Middle East as well, you know, I, I, there's quite a few Caymans, you know, older Caymans here and boxes and that. And they look yeah. so small here in Bahrain because everyone's got, you know, Escalades and large four-wheel right. drives, you know, Range Rovers. So it's, the Cayman looks, yeah. you know, looks tiny. But, you know, I keep, seeing, the ni I keep yeah. seeing pictures of the 997 uh, on, on things as well now. And even the 997 at the back now, it's starting to look very narrow. Yeah. It never used to I look know. narrow. It's looking, especially I my know. base Carrera, it's looking very narrow compared to what else That's is right. coming out. 
And I have to figure that that's due to this like size inflation in the 911 line. I have a photo of my car next to, um, I can't recall the exact specification, but uh, like nearly a brand new 911 4S. And it's twice as wide as my car. I mean, it's incredibly huge. It's incredibly huge. You know, I was looking at a picture of a 996 the other day on Instagram. There was a certain angle of the 996. And it's weird with the 996 because now, it, it, to me, it's starting to look different. You know, it's like right. cars, you know, how a, how a car designer sees a car when they're designing it. And then in years to come, yes. it becomes how they were originally seeing it. Yeah. You know what I mean, it ages into yeah. a certain way. And it's almost like the yeah. 996 has aged in that way. And I never realized yeah. how rounded it was and how curved it was, even mm-hmm. more so than the 997. I, I can't really explain it, but it's sort of like in that yeah. Porsche Unseen book where you see the prototypes where they've got a lot more curves. And you look at the 996 yes. and you think, okay, that's what they were doing. That's, that's the yes. shape. And you can really see Creating it Creating this line. Yeah, you can really see Well, the really interesting thing, it. I, talk, I talk 911s with a lot of my clients who own, I have guys who own really unique cars uh, from really standard cars. And Everyone treats the 996 like the redheaded stepchild, other than the guys who own them or who have owned them. And I, I get into this discussion often. The 996 silhouette, if you look at it, it is gorgeous from mm, the side. Mm. I mean, it is. The lines are incredible. Yeah, I understand not everybody's a fan of the headlight, but when we're talking about the sheer automotive design, yeah. it is. It, it's a really yeah. great What was his design. name? Pinky Lie, right? Pinky Lie or Pinky Lay. Yes, designer. Pinky, Pinky he did Lye. a great yeah. job. He yeah. actually did a really yeah. good job. And it's so. taken this long for people to see it, but he has done a great job. Devin, it's aged um, really well. Let's talk about let's talk about the drives. I haven't shared your Instagram either. I've got the one Instagram for you, so the guys I should have shared it earlier on in the podcast. Is that the one you'd like to share with everyone to follow you? Yeah. And- yeah, my uh, my my Devin Vincent Instagram is our that's our business uh, Instagram page, and that's where we sh- will share more about the car as it continues through its Fantastic. So that's cycle at, because it's kind of part of our brand culture. Perfect. It's uh, So I'll just let tell the listeners again, It's the Instagram is at Devon, D-E-V-A-N, Vincent, V-I-N-C-E-N-T. So make sure you go over to Devon's Instagram, follow and tell him you heard his story. Um, let's talk about, let's finish. We're, we've gone a little bit over. Um, we haven't even talked yeah. about watches yet either. We maybe we'll just come back to that very <laughs> quickly. Know. And I know you have to go because you're going to well, Italy tomorrow. Okay. You're flying away. I set the whole day to prepare to go to, to Europe because who knows with COVID, like we have to go get our, our rapid COVID test. We got to yeah. do all this stuff. Like it's going to be crazy, but my favorite drives, you know, it depends on the mood. If you're taking the 911 T yes. and you want a raw experience, the way it's currently geared, which we didn't talk about, it does much better around town and on curvy small roads than it does on the highway. Okay. And in California, we have a highway culture. There's highways that go everywhere. I don't prefer to drive this car on the highway. I prefer it um, on small roads. So I like to, you know, take it up uh, out the back of where I live. I live in the East Bay. And so I take it up around Mount Diablo. There's some excellent driving on these. I don't want to blow up my local roads, but there uh, are often fun cars out here. And there's some excellent roads that wind out there into Livermore wine country. And then you can actually drive through wine country and Livermore back into the East Bay here in Danville. Or I'll do the same thing. In, in Napa Valley in wine country. And there's several roads there that if I'm in previous 911s, I enjoy driving or my other more modern cars because I have to take the highway to get there. But then you're driving around to wineries and maybe stopping and uh, maybe the driver's not tasting, but maybe the passengers are tasting really enjoying those, you know, windy roads through wineries and through the rolling fantastic. hills. We have some excellent driving here. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Hey, have you ever been tempted though, because you go to Europe quite a bit or you, you probably used to go to Europe quite a lot? 
Have you been tempted right. to try and get one of the uh, Porsche rentals in Germany or Italy or something and take uh, it for a spin on oh, one of those famous roads? Absolutely. Absolutely have. I just was looking at an experience while we're there next week for driving a vintage uh, European car is what this rental service calls it. Um, and I'll be staying in Lake Garda or uh, Lago de Garda. And there's a service there that has many very beautiful cars. I don't know if it'll end up working out with our schedule, but I would love to do uh, a Germany trip and and do obviously some of the roads there. I, I wouldn't mind, you know, I heard your last owner story uh, with the GT3 say he wouldn't like to drive on the Nuremberg ring. I would love to. Uh, I think it would be a blast. Uh, I probably wouldn't drive in it in my car because I wouldn't want to ship it over there. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's on my bucket list, and I can't remember the name of this rally because I my I've been getting up at 4 a.m. for three days to prep my body clock, so my brain's a little right. a little silly. But there's a rally that goes from somewhere in France all the way to the edge of China, and it's like a 40 day rally. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yes, okay. and I'm trying to think. I heard about this on spike's car garage i think or spike's right. car radio and the gentleman who did it did it in a classic 911 he brought all the parts he would need in case they broke and basically they stay at really nice hotels they go through really unique spots and they just it's like a 40-day you know car drive um i'm trying i knew the name of it yesterday and it's just slipped in my head um, yeah. i do i would ship my car over for something like that but for driving on the Nürburgring, I'd probably just rent something fun. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely going to go to Stuttgart. We were planning to go to Stuttgart just before um, COVID hit, and then we obviously couldn't go. But I was going to go to Stuttgart, right. and I was going to hire those cars that you can pick it up at the factory, and yeah. you know the new ones, and just take them for two days or three days. They yeah, get booked. They were not? getting. They were booked out very quickly, though. I remember when I was looking, there was not much left. Um, but that, I think right. that'd be a great yeah, thing you have to, to book do. In advance. Well, every time I go to Italy, I always try and find an exotic European of some kind at Avis or Hertz. Yeah. Because if you know the way the roads work there, they don't pull you over for traffic violations. They they use speed cameras. And I know what the speed cameras look like. And I know where they are on the routes that I drive. So, you know, I know how to really see what these cars can do. And it's really fun. I mean, I drove a an A6 or an A7 um, last time I was there. And, man, at 180 mm kilometers an hour that car really feels planted it's it's an amazing car my memories of driving in italy was always flying into venice airport and getting a rent car from venice and then um yeah when i used to have to go to see uh, factories in the in the in that part of italy and always always in a fiat it was always a fiat and then driving the fiat to milan yes and uh, fiat. You know, yeah. yeah always that left-hand drive fiat which was always a bit weird yep. for me coming oh. from australia Oh, I can imagine. Good memories, good memories. Um, So, okay, you've got the 911T, you're going for a drive. Um, You and Brian are both, you know, sharing watch stories and and Porsche stories. What is the watch? watch? Let's just do a match-up thing before we leave. What is the watch you match with your 911T? Yeah, that's a good question. So the funny thing, and and this is a connection I haven't necessarily heard made yet on your owner stories or your watch discussions, but I think there's a thread here that gets missed. What attracts me to the, the Porsche platform and 911s is the beauty in the mechanics and how beautiful things are made and how oh, okay. this is very scarce in the world. That's actually one of the things I do in our business is we make things in an old world way by hand. And it's it's a really wonderful product and something that is more hand produced rather than a factory produced product. And so what I see this thread running through is in certain watches, um, you definitely can see the heritage in the, the build and the make. And so that, for me, that started with Rolex. Um, I added a Polar Explorer when my son was born. Um, this would have been 
nine years ago. I, I thought this would be a great watch to buy that to give to him when he has this first kid. Um, and one that would be a good daily watch. Yeah. The Explorer is great. Is that the red hand or the orange hand? That, uh, that's the red hand, uh, the orange hand wasn't out when he was. Yeah, uh, I was trying to work out when born. it came out. Yeah, nine yeah, years ago. Yeah, I have so the orange. I have the orange hand, which I. I love that I watch. Bought last year, I think it was last year. It's a killer watch. Yeah, I love it. I've been wearing watch. it too much. I wore it the whole time in Dubai, actually, because we've been in Dubai for the last sixteen days. So, I oh, pretty yeah. much wore it uh, most days. I probably shouldn't have, but you know, it was getting knocked around. No, these but. are these are meant to. I mean, I I wear my I wear my Explorer too. Mount. I've I've worn it climbing through the mountains, fly fishing. Uh, I take I. I tend not to take it to Europe because it's so well recognized that in certain parts of Italy, you, you may get, um, robbed or it may get taken from you. Yes. Um, so I actually will wear my Automars, um, when I travel more because it's less known by, uh, standard really? folk. Um, at least that's what I've been told by several of my friends who travel is to wear a non Rolex. Which AP do you have? I have the, the Royal Oak, um, what is that? The 41 inch bezel oh, you in do. black. I'm trying to think of the serial oh, number. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, no, actually, I, know. I, know which I bought one that is. from Brian, believe it or not. Did you? I yeah, did. that's that's on my list as well. We're getting into watches here. We can talk for hours, but that's uh, that's on my list. I know everyone likes the blue dial in that. Um, yeah. I actually quite like the black. I don't have a problem with the black. Me too. So that's the watch I love to wear in the T. Currently, the T is black, but I love to wear that watch and go out, take my wife out to a nice dinner and just have a nice drive and put on a you know a, a dapper outfit that's kind of my perfect evening if i can have one that's a beautiful watch that's a beautiful watch um <laughs> i hate to say it in in dubai i think i hardly ever see them even in london i don't really see really? them on people's wrists but in dubai the i saw a lot people were wearing them which i thought was fantastic oh, um cool you know i saw un, unexpecting people they're just everyone and and i saw a lot of those i saw um saw a lot of jlc's actually a lot of people wearing JLCs. Oh, neat, really? Yeah, the reverse. Oh, yeah. That's a cool watch. I like the reverse. Yeah, my wife yeah. wants that one where she's trying to work out which one she wants. We, we tried one on, but we didn't buy it, but she's definitely going to get one, I think. Oh, I'm jealous. That's a cool watch. But there's so many things. There's so many things to buy, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, the interesting thing, the, the, the 911T and the Royal Oak are the two things that people never, if they know what they're talking about, they always mention it. If I pull up somewhere and someone knows 911s, they always will come up to me and want to talk about the car, which I love because I love talking cars. And the the watch is another thing that guys who know watches, they love it. They want to talk about it. They want to touch it. They want to see it. They want to know the story. And, and to me, that's another thread of connection. That's one of yeah. the reasons I love wearing it is when I'm in a meeting maybe with a new client, if he's into watches or cars, we can talk about either. We can talk about all sorts of stuff, but those are two things that um, I can talk about for hours and just really enjoy. So yeah. they're, they're fun threads, and I think they are connected. That craftsmanship, that execution that uh, Porsche represents is also very well represented in high-end watches. It's the appreciation, isn't it? It's the underlying things that you, you know, some things you see, like, you know, the bezel on the APs, on the, you know, some of the Royal yeah. Oaks, the dial, the detail in the dial, you know. Um, yes. even with Panerai, which people aren't really fans of at the moment, the Panerai, you know, the little, you know, the little device yeah. protecting the crown, like the you know, those things yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, for me, every time I, I, I wind it and I'm showing, um, Devin now, but every time I wind it, I just get, you know, just moving that and just winding it is just a yes. great thing, you know, and it's just yes. those little tiny things that, that are important. It's the same as with an 11s as all those little things that you appreciate. Oh yeah. 
for me, that manual uh, throttle control or um, choke control, if yeah. you're using an American car term, when you start up the the T that I have to open that up, it's carbureted. So I still have to flush out all that old, yeah. Yeah. you know, garbage. I just love it. the whole process. It's fun. It's fun. All right, Devin, we've, we've, we've almost Michael. gone an hour and a half. I think we should end it here, <laughs> but, but it's been a long one, but it's been a fun one. I've really enjoyed it. Um, anything you want to tell the Same listeners here. before we go? Anything you want to share with the listeners? Well, obviously, everybody who listens to this podcast loves cars and likely loves Porsche. Um, I would say drive something you didn't expect if you, to, be, to enjoy. If you haven't driven something in the, in the lineup, go drive it and see. You know, I, I held uh, some ill will against a few of the cars that I've now come to love because I never drove them. So if, you, if you're curious, just go find one to drive. And that's what I really like what Philip said uh, in the owner stories, uh, Philip with the GT3, the high mileage GT3 um, from Belgium. Yes. yes. All of them are special, as he said, all of them are yes. special. You know what I mean? And I think that's a great way to look at it. You know, don't say, oh, that's not as good as, you know, the 944 is not as good as the 911, the box is not as good. They all are an important part of Porsche's history. They've all, you know, they all come together as one. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's, yeah. I think that's really important. I thought that was a great thing that we yeah. sort of overlook sometimes, you know, when we talk about we the different, I, different variants. It's, it's so easy in the in the Porsche world to be so obsessed with what something's value is or its scarcity. Yeah. Um, and to me, that you're missing the point. That isn't what this is about. Uh, if, if you're passionate about cars, it's it's about the experience and what connects with you individually. And everybody's going to have a different connection. So thank you so much for all you do for the community. And I just love your podcast. It's so wonderful to listen to on my drives. And I do a significant amount of driving. So Much thank appreciated. You. Thanks, Devin. And thanks for reaching out. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad uh, Brian didn't convince you to come on though, did he? He didn't have to convince you. No, he didn't. He, uh, <laughs> it's funny. We talked about it. He said, he, you know, I listened to his podcast. We talked about it and he goes, man, you'd love to talk to Michael because you and I love to talk about Porsche. <laughs> so why not do it, you know, on Michael's podcast? And I'm, I was already a fan. So it kind of made, it made sense. As so you know, I, you I could that. keep, I could keep talking. I could keep talking, but we should finish. Devin, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks again, Michael. Take good care. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. That's Devin coming in from the Bay Area, California, US, uh, with his 1969 Long Hood 911. We'll call it Hot Rod, Devin. Hot Rod. Um, (laughs) Hot Rod 911T with the, uh, what is it called? Comfort package, isn't it? Yeah. Comfort package. I think it is called a comfort package. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Porsche Cool Podcast. That's it for today. Bye for now.